This is Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode of PodSAM, we're talking growth. Three Summit Series mentors share their insight into how we grow the sport and reach new markets. If you're not familiar, the Summit Series Leadership Development Program brings together industry leaders, the mentors, and 10 up-and-comers from resorts across the U.S. and Canada. On this episode of PodSAM, we hear from Ben Dornbus, General Manager of Nubs Knob in Michigan, Kim Mayhew, President and COO of Solitude Mountain Resort in Utah, and Russ Calton, President of Hunter Mountain in New York. These three mentors field questions from a few of our mentees. On this episode, you'll hear the voices of Rick Herlihy, Snowshoe, West Virginia, Greg Valerio, Wyndham, New York, Parker Gokey, Mount Ashland, Oregon, Megan Wilcock, Mount Snow, Vermont, Christina Matson, Suicide Six, Vermont, Hunter Steinkamp, Crystal Mountain, Michigan, and Eric Kurtzman of Diamond Peak, Nevada. As this was recorded from actual conference calls, there's the typical phone interference and such, but it's totally worth it. Let's hand it off to Paul Talner of High Peaks Group, who facilitated this discussion. Paul? Uh, welcome to our mentees, uh, our accomplished mentees who, uh, who who are joining this call, and also uh, welcome to our, our mentors uh, with whom we're going to have this conversation today. And uh, the topic is growth. And I was thinking about this topic uh, before the call, and I thought, wow, every leader of every organization is constantly thinking about growth. It's, it's sort of the burden and the expectation of, of all leaders uh, for, for organizations and one that kind of um, occupies a lot of brain space. So I'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about today with our mentors. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. And in the spirit of getting started, uh, what I'd love to ask our mentors to think about and share with our mentees first is uh, putting yourselves back in a, you know, in earlier in your career when you were maybe uh, you know, had your first uh, taste at responsibility, maybe your first time being a people manager, first time having some uh, financial responsibility in your resort or your ski area, and just think a little bit about that time when you were kind of new to that. And I'd love you to think about um, a, a moment or an aha moment when it dawned on you and you realized that uh, there was a challenge uh, or, uh, or a solution uh, something that you observed related to growth or and conversion and retention. So, uh, so start thinking about you know your first experience with that. And, you know what are some of the key kind of learnings and um, you know uh, you know kind of guiding principles that you've acquired over the, you know at that time and how you've used how you're using them today. So let's start with uh, we'll start with Kim and then uh, go to Ben and then Russ. Uh, so, uh, Kim, do you have a story you can share about uh, the not-so-distant past uh, when, yeah. <laughs> when it all dawned on you? <laughs> sure, absolutely. And um, that, my early career, um, especially as a supervisor manager, was at Deer Valley Resort. I was with Deer Valley Resort for um, just a little over 33 years prior to coming to Solitude. And the thing that sticks out my mind um, I really grasped hold of our um, owner's principles of impeccable guest service and guest experience because that was the key to 
um, having people return to your resort, um, gaining that brand loyalty, and um, telling their friends, making sure that they had such a great time that they couldn't wait to tell their friends. So part of the culture um, in my early years um, was that everyone, including the frontline staff member, really understood the value of excellent guest service. And each touch point and each um, interaction or, or transaction, I guess, if you will, um, creates the whole entire guest experience. So everyone was responsible for that outcome, which was to get that guest to return and retain them as a long-term loyal guest to the sport and to your brand and culture. So um, my whole ski career has been here at Nub Snob. Um, I started here in 2008, and I'm still very due to the position of general manager. This is only my second year. But when you asked for a story, I have uh, an interesting experience with growth here um, with our NASTAR program. I was in uh, mountain operations uh, you know, early on here. And one of the things I had to do was run NASTAR races, and we had been uh, seen declining numbers in NASTAR racing. And one thing we noticed was... Uh, people were getting frustrated because we started NASTAR right at 12.30, but you couldn't get into the race if you didn't show up before 12.30 because the roster was already set. And, um, you know, with technology, I realized that we could set up a remote computer and actually enter people into the race as it was ongoing. And so we did that, and all they cost us was an Ethernet cable and a laptop computer, and we went from having... Um, you know, maybe 15 to 20 people doing NASTAR on a weekend to now we're doing 40 to 50 people um, doing NASTAR on a weekend, and we've got the best um, NASTAR numbers in the Midwest. And that was one of those things that you just listen to the guests, and they say, you know, I do NASTAR, but I can't get to the hill before 1230. And um, simply adding in that Ethernet cord and a remote registration computer um, allowed us to you know, basically double our participation um, with NASTAR. And so, you know, things like that as for the mentees, you know, coming up, um, thinking about what are the problems our hill are, is having and, you know, listen to your skiers and your snowboarders and what uh, are they telling you. And, um, you know, usually if you use a little ingenuity, you can come up with something that uh, will result in some growth. Incredible how simple some solutions can can be. Uh, you know, the, the solution to result ratio. It's nice when it's high like that. At Hunter, for a long time, um, both the ski school and the rental operation were concessions. And uh, my background was up through operations. And about 20 years ago, we took over both of those operations. And one of the things that became evident to me was that we were having a lot of guests that would leave the rental process that were looking to learn to ski or ride. And um, if they had missed a lineup, uh, they were out there floundering. And so someone that exited, uh, never ever that exited the rental shop and had another hour and a half before they uh, got into a lesson, by the time we got that person, they were done already. Uh, you know, their experience uh, just wasn't that great. And so I started questioning, why do we operate this way? And 
the response was, well, that's the way we've always operated it. And at times I thought we were in the lineup business, not introdu introducing our guests to the sport. So I think one of the early takeaways for me was the opportunity to challenging to challenge all of the traditional thoughts and processes that had been in place to make sure that everything that we do had the guest experience in mind. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think I, what I love about each of those stories is is that um, they're so tied to uh, the growth, you know, in your area, um, and and the the ways to really, you know, focus some energy and attention on achieving, you know, the growth where you are. Uh, I'd love to maybe switch gears a little bit and throw it back out to the mentees. Uh, Rick has a question uh, that takes it a little bit higher to a little bit of a higher level. My question is: um, Do you view the shift to mountain consolidation that's happening? Uh, as a growth driver for the industry as a whole, um, an example, um, you know, resorts having access to growth capital that they may not otherwise be able to to fund large scale projects or ideas um, on their own to drive skier visits. Um, so I'm just kind of interested in your perspective. Obviously, from that resort that's getting that growth capital is is very beneficial, but uh, kind of interested in your perspective. Uh, from the industry as a whole? Um, you know, I'm probably one of the newest um, resorts uh, to shift um, into um, a consolidation. Um, we, uh, Solitude, became an Altera Mountain Company property um, in August. And um, your question is very thoughtful. I, I appreciate it because you're exactly right. I think um, that the consolidation I'm hoping it will be a growth driver, both for the resort to grow and to um, utilize that capital opportunity from the consolidation to better their brand and what they have to offer to the guest. Um, as the other two mentors mentioned, you know, focusing in on what the guest needs and kind of what they're telling you is really important, but it's also nice having the money um, to be able to um, execute some of those things. So I'm seeing that as a real plus, as a consolidation. Um, your other part was growth in terms of skier visits or driving, you know, skier visits. Um, I think I think it will. I think we're still in a place where we're competing for the same guests. Um, but I think that the experience of being able to go to other uh, properties within the consolidation um, may help spur some growth. You know, I'm going to take this question from a slightly different perspective. Um, we're in the upper Midwest, and so we live in an area that doesn't have a very high population. I mean, our um, the, the city that's uh, feeding us is a population of you know six, seven thousand people. Um, so we have really we're just not part of a consolidation, and I really don't think anybody's interested in us either because we don't have a. Uh, we're not a metro area that could be a feeder to a, a bigger area out east or out west. Um, so the question, it's an interesting one, what's happening in the ski area, you know, seen in general. But for small um, areas like us that are owned by families, I actually think that the consolidation thing is a little bit of an opportunity for us, too, um, because it differentiates us from, um, you know, the bigger resorts. And so for those uh, folks that are 
still at small uh, mom and pop ski areas, um, I think that there's always been a little bit of, um, you know, a, a little bit of an underdog thing going. And I think that this highlights that even more. Um, and certainly um, our season pass pass growth for the past few years has been uh, very good. And um, I think that there's a model that works for um, the small folks too that um, aren't going to be part of the consolidation process. So um, I, I, it's interesting that that is happening, and, but I do think that small ski areas can actually benefit the, from this thing as well too. Uh, like Kim, we're a recent, uh, about two and a half years now, uh, we're uh, part of a larger family, so to speak. And um, it's definitely, there's additional resources that, that may have not been there, both from a financial standpoint and uh, a technology informational standpoint, I would say. Um, but, and I'm going to, I'm going to focus on uh, growing the sport and that I would say that it depends on the organization and what their commitment to growth is, whether it's organic in developing, in building the market, or if it's into, frankly, stealing market share. And so I think uh, it, it, it really depends on, uh, on the organization and, uh, and, and their direction. Lots of big, big business decisions that have to be made and strategic ones at that uh, when thinking about this for sure. The PodSAM conversation continues after we thank PodSAM and Summit Series partner Mountain Guard. How many skier visits are you doing? 5,000? 5 million? I'm going to guess it's somewhere in between. Specializing exclusively in insuring the ski industry since 1962, Mountain Guard has become the largest rider of ski resort insurance in North America. No matter your size, your resort needs the experience and expertise that Mountain Guard can provide. Click on over to mountainguard.com where you'll be able to make quick contact with their eastern and western experts. Customers know them as Tim Barnhorst, Tim Hendrickson, and Bo Adams. www.mountainguard.com I wanted to turn to Greg, who had a question as well, uh, relating to kind of creativity and flexibility uh, of, of uh, you know, ways to ensure growth. So with the popularity in skiing on the decline, do you think it's important for the industry to continue expanding beyond snow sports? And what are some ways to attract participants beyond snow sports? And that's a great question, Greg. This has been from Nubs Knob. Um, yeah, I do think that it's important for you know ski areas to look at what they have as a resource and see if there's any ways to expand. Um, I'm going to focus on actual stuff that's happening in the winter. One thing that we've seen here um, in the Midwest is the growth of things like uh, skate skiing, cross-country skiing, fat biking, um, snowshoeing, AT skiing, and a lot of our, um, you know, what I'm going to call our dedicated core season pass holders here, they might start off their day on uh, the cross-country trails and then move to the, um, you know, pair of snowshoes and then finish the day off on a pair of teleskis. And for us, you know, I think that we need to continue to look at the resource we have, which is this ski slopes and um, the trails around it and, and think about uh, other ways that people want to use the ski resort. Um, and we're, we're totally focused on wintertime operations here. But at the same time, there is an opportunity to do more things in the summer as well. Um, 
so I, I think that it's just important to not stay stagnant and to really um, listen to your customers. You know, what are they telling you? Uh, and, and look at trends in the industry as well. Certainly, um, things like fat biking are uh, gaining popularity, and it's important to, I think, be ahead of the curve on some of this stuff. And I guess I'll focus on the off season because I would tell you that when the weather is good, um, there is still really good demand for for skiing and riding. So, um, you know, it's important to continue to develop opportunities for the resort during during the non-skiing uh, season. You know, opportunities, conference and weddings and food and beverage and concerts and things like that. Having said that. It's still really difficult to replace the volume uh, from a from a visit standpoint and a revenue standpoint of a single Saturday in the in the in the winter time. You it, it takes a lot of weddings to get close to a a Saturday in January. Sorry, I, I agree with Russ. You know, we make hay in the wintertime and, um, you know, we fill in some business and keep some great people employed in the summer. But to your point, what a what a very important thing it is to expand beyond snow sports. And the reason being is that studies do show that millennials are millennial participants, which is our next generation of growth opportunity in the ski industry. They're looking for a full mountain experience. And the snow sport part of it is just a part of it, um, offering, you know, some other activities that provide for that expanded experience um, helps to grow that generation of skiers. And if you notice, too, that families are traveling, and especially I've noticed here at Solitude, travel um, multi-generationally. And so it's really nice to have some other things that are happening for the different levels of generation, generally the older folks in the family and the younger folks in the family. So just uh, growing those opportunities is important as well. Parker had a question that uh, seems to piggyback right on, right on this uh, conversation that we're having right now. Parker, do you, do you wanna go ahead and ask your question? With low snow years and flat or declining participation, how important it is to add summer activities to try to balance the flow of revenue during years when winter may not be enough? Um, that's a great question, Parker. This is Ben from Nubs. Um, and I'm going to double down on what Russ said. And, um, you know, when you're the person looking at the numbers, it's just incredible the cash flow that can happen with skier visits. And, um, you know, I see the cover of Sam Magazine and a, a lot of focus going to bike parks and alpine slides and summer operations, but I can only speak for our business and what we see, but there's just really no replacing um, this, this the volume you can do with skier visits. And mo for most of us, our infrastructure is set up that way. Um, you know, we're set up to run thousands of skiers through the ski area. So for, for me, I'm going to um, just say in terms of the low snow years and the summer operations, that's why we take money and we put it into snowmaking here. And um, <laughs> we, we need, we absolutely have to have that snowpack. And um, yeah, it, maybe it's not um, a super diverse um, business model, but it is one that works. And I think that it's important for, um, certainly in the Midwest, it's important for us to really invest in our people, um, 
because they need to make it happen when the when the cold weather comes, and we also have to have the infrastructure um, so that when that cold comes, we can pull the trigger and do what we do best. And there's really not, um, you know, another way to replace that. Uh, now, that's not to say it's it's not good to be creative, but I, I I am worried that as an industry as a whole, we're losing a little focus on the skiing thing. And I think that it's important to really uh, continue to double down on the skiing thing. Skiing's not dead. Wow, fascinating. That's that's probably a whole uh, a whole hour discussion right there. We could we could really dig in on that one. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I would just add on to that because I I think both Ben and, and Kim have followed on or, or made the point about a lot of these the stuff that we do in the off season. It's important to to generate visits to the resort, but it's also a great opportunity for us to allow us to keep a lot of our key people that will uh, that are so important to the operation during the winter time. The other the other point that I would make, at least in this market here, is that it's very difficult from a competition standpoint uh, to compete in the summertime, specifically with water. Um, you know, the the demand going to the mountains is is it's we're seeing a resurgence, but it's still very very difficult to compete with going to the ocean or to the lakes in the summertime. Well, we we certainly don't have oceans um, here in in Utah, but but I see <laughs> no Russ is Russ makes an excellent point. People are looking for a different experience generally in the summer. Um, we're in a unique position where um, our ski center is 12 miles from the heart of Salt Lake City, which is about three million people. And so we I've watched the ski industry grow their summer business from exactly where Russ was coming from. And it was to be able to retain really good staff because I remember working three and four jobs as a seasonal person. And that's hard work and it's hard to juggle. And your, your passion sometimes can win out and sometimes your passion doesn't. But I really believe that the summer experiences that um, the industry is growing is a an incredible retention tool for experienced winter people and we really need to retain those people to make the snow to groom to do all the the things that really do um, make hay for us in the winter time you know it's fascinating when when thinking about um you know that we're kind of on this theme a little bit of some of the headwinds that that uh, ski areas face in in terms of uh, achieving growth, uh, especially when times are challenging. Uh, but the next question that I'd love Hunter to ask is a little bit uh, has something to do with uh, self-inflicted pain. <laughs> so my question is, do you guys ever feel as though at times we price ourselves into zones that ultimately lower demand enough to decrease participation in the sport? And actually hurt the overall bottom line of the resort. You know, I would say that that most of us, when you look around, have fairly affordable uh, introductory programs into the sport. And I think one of the challenges that we have is that we have discounted these programs to make it affordable to have a larger reach into the market. But at some point, we have to take these people and transition them into the retail market. And I think that's where it becomes very difficult uh, from the guest standpoint. I think in our markets, there are going to be people that frankly will never be able to afford the sport. But I think 
recently or overall, and I think maybe as part of this con consolidation, you know, seasons past pricing has gotten very uh, competitive. Um, you know, there's multiple day products, there's learn to introductory products that that I would say that that the industry on a whole it, it has some real affordable products out there where people, if they really have the interest, can get into the sport um, uh, fairly affordable. Yeah, I think um, uh, I'll just echo on Russ there. You know, the competitiveness um, of the price pass passes, especially from the consolidated um, resort, is definitely something that people are looking at. We have also, I think in the ski industry, I think we've developed a um, group of great shoppers, people who find ways to um, find that discount and get the experience that they're looking for and not necessarily pay retail. There's a lot of us that are with the Liftopia platform where people can purchase in advance. We're actually rewarding people to purchase things in advance and most of the competitive um, season pass uh, type product is also priced out really inexpensively if the consumer is willing to pay the price many, many months in advance. So I, I think we're finding ways to not price ourselves um, out of the business. I think we, we have a lot of costs. Um, and if you've ever looked at what it costs to run an operation, um, we have, you know, very fixed costs and you've got to pay those prices, still make money and pay people real well, but you, but you also have to be sensitive to the consumer and what they're doing. Uh, Hunter, that's a great question. And I, and I would um, really agree with what both Kim and Russ had to say on this one. Um, it's actually a great time to be a skier who loves the sport and knows where they want to ski. So if you're a guy um, in the upper Midwest and you know, hey, I'm going to spend all my time at <clears throat> Nubs Knob and you buy that um, season pass ahead of time, you're getting an incredible value. And um, we, along with I think most ski areas really in the, in the states, are all seeing really significant growth in season passes right now. Um, and I do think it's a really good value. Um, but to Hunter's point, I think the thing we need to worry about there is we're talking to our core audience and we're offering them a, a great product at a really fair price. But the folks that want to just show up on a Saturday with zero planning, um, they, they are not getting a good price. Um, and I think that there is some loss right there. And I, I do think that as an industry, that's where we need to... Um, we got to think about uh, the family that wants to just show up on a Saturday, and Kim had already mentioned it about rewarding customers for um, doing things like early purchase or early commitments. Um, that kind of thing is very intelligent. Um, but the folks that really don't know the ski industry at all and just kind of want to show up on a Saturday and um, stop in the rental department, it is there is a big price barrier for folks there kind of across the board in the ski industry right now. And I think that it's important for um, all of us to look at that and say, okay, we've got a never ever showing up here. They don't know anything. Um, how are we going to get them on the hill at a fair rate so we have a chance to convert them into season pass holders down the road? Um, that That is a perfect segue uh, to Megan's question, who has, uh, who has uh, something that she'd like to ask related to uh, uh, 
marketing to guests and reaching guests. Uh, Megan, why don't you go ahead and ask your question? We're good at reaching peers and engaging with established guests through our marketing practices. Do you have suggestions for marketing to non-skiers? Yeah, um, we've had pretty good success at finding partners um, who have the ability to reach never-evers through, dif through different channels than we do. Um, and frankly, uh, they may have the resources uh, that we may not have to get into real small niche markets. But um, whether it's different tour operators, whether it's different associations, um, just the use of different uh, uh, partners out there um, gives you the ability to reach, as I said, reach markets that, that frankly, sometimes we don't even know exist. Russ, do you have a, an example uh, of a partnership that you can think of that, that's really been? Yeah, we had a, a, a group. It, it was a social. Um, uh, it was a it was a social tour operator, and uh, they specialized in the millennial market, and um, the skiing experience was just one part of the overall experience and and it was really neat how they packaged it so that frankly the bus tour itself was part of the day and so a lot of people would come up and probably 98 percent of them were first-time skiers and riders and they would come up they would spend two to four hours on the slope and then they were in having lunch or they were in listening to the band in the bar or something. So it was all uh, experience based. But this was a group that we never would have been able to reach and we would never have been able to put it together in such a way that the that frankly, the ski experience was just just one aspect of the of the trip as a whole. I think one of, um, one of the things that I have challenged um, my team with is looking to find those non-snowboard non participant segments of our population here in central Utah to kind of um, wet their palate a little bit about snow sports being 12 miles away and so accessible and, and whatnot. Well, there's a couple of different things that we've done. Um, we've hooked up with a Spanish-speaking radio uh, outfit. And if you're aware of where we are, we have a fairly large Spanish-speaking population here in the Salt Lake Valley. And to tap into that market and see uh, the Hispanic population coming up here and enjoying some snow sports has been really nice. Um, also, we partner with an organization called Ski Utah, and most states have that have more than one ski resort in their state. They have an organization that helps to, it's a nonprofit organization that helps to promote ski and snowboarding um, industries. But we provide as a resort, a thousand fourth graders, and that's just our resort. That doesn't include what Brighton does, what Alta does, what Snowbird does, you know, in terms of this Ski Utah fourth grader program, um, we do a thousand kids. And while it's a one and done, we give discounts, uh, deep down discounts for them to continue to ski right up through sixth grade. And we have seen conversion from that population, and it is a diverse population. 
We provide, you know, discounted rental and lesson equipment throughout their three year. And if you can get kids to ski more than three times, and generally by the fourth time you got them hooked, and then you provide incentives for them to continue, um, it, it's a gr- it's a great opportunity. Yeah, when you when we talk about you know ski uh, marketing to non skiers. Yeah, I always think about what we're all consumers. What's the thing that usually swings our decision making to buying a product or uh, purchasing an experience? And typically, it's uh, friends and family. It's people we already know. So I we always joke here that we spend 100% of our marketing dollars on snowmaking and grooming, um, which is to say that you know make the product great and the people that buy your season passes just service the heck out of them and um, they'll be happy and they want to get their non-skier friends and family involved in the sport. Um, so for us, that's really kind of the key is really make uh, your season pass holders and your the core uh, group of people that are at the resort um, absolutely have a fantastic experience. And then the people that are close to them are going to want to, uh, you know, they'll, they'll market, they'll do the marketing work for you. So I think that Really, the key is just make sure that the experience is as good as it possibly can be for the people that are there and um, let them do the work for you. We'll be right back after we thank PodSam and Summit Series partner, Leitner Palma. Leitner Palma of America moves people. Literally, that's what they do. They move people. They offer a complete line of cable transport systems from surface lifts to chairlifts to gondolas. Leitner Palma can design, engineer, manufacture, and maintain the transportation systems that get you to the top. Check out leitner-palma.com and touch base with the lift experts on their team. www.leitner-palma.com One thing that Kim mentioned a little earlier was the, uh, I think it was Kim, uh, talked a little bit about, um, you know, the profile of, of folks coming out to the, the, the uh, resorts and that People tend to travel in multi-generational groups. Um, so Christina had a question that seemed to fit that. And you know, Christina, I'd love love for you to uh, ask your question. Uh, maybe we'll uh, ask him to go first, and then Russ, and then Ben. But uh, Christina, do you want to ask your question? Sure. My question is: When considering the multi-generational generational shift in our market, would you consider it more valuable to develop programming that appeals to all members of the family? or more to a specific generation. For example, if we get the kids hooked on an awesome seasonal program, will it drive the decision to make the home of that program the weekend ski destination for the family? Well, that's an, that's an excellent question. And I think that there it definitely is a shift. And appealing to different family members, I think, is it makes them all very comfortable and want to return and to be, like you said, um, that their very specific weekend destination, for sure. I, I would agree with Kim in, in that developing programming that appeals to multiple members of the family would be important. You know, in our learn to business, it's not just children, you know, it's children and adults, and then you have all the different types of segments, whether it's daily programs, multi-daily programs, seasonal programs, and there's so many different niche markets for each each of those different groups. Um, our our learn to business is so you know here it's 
you know, we spe- you know, we have both seasonal programs for, for adults and children, but in addition to that, we have our daily and multi-daily programs uh, to bring per- people through, you know, a three-day type of program. And then we have daily programs, and it's both kids and adults. So there's multiple aspects of it uh, to reach all the different uh, potential uh, guests in the market. I, I agree with uh, Russ and Kim on both of those points, um, and, and I do think it's important to appeal to the multi-generational. Now you got to remember who's got the uh, wallet. It's going to be mom and dad, so um, you always want to make sure that it's a place where they want to to be at. But one of the things um, you know that's really popular for us here is uh, night race league, and you know we have uh, hundreds and hundreds of people um, in our. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday night race league, um, and it's adults. It's for you know, it's they drink beer afterwards and have a good time. But while mom and dad are doing race league, what are the kids doing? Well, we have a ski academy that mirrors our race league, um, and ski academy is essentially like swim lessons, where you've got six or seven um, uh, kids in a lesson with one instructor, and they do the same 10-week schedule at the exact same time as the race league happens. So we've got um, the whole family out here. Uh, Mom and dad are having fun with their friends doing uh, race league, and the kids are doing ski academy. Um, So I think, you know, thinking about um, what's going to draw a family out to the ski area and how do we keep um, each uh, portion of the family involved, it's important to think like that. Is, um, I have a quick follow-up on Christina's question for the three of you. I'm kind of wondering um, if you know where you see the growth in some of these more specific segments that uh, we've been talking about, whether it's you know the family or you know the you know a particular generation like millennials or others uh, or you know demographic groups or things like that. So it, what, you know, are there are there specific you know numbers that you can point to? At the moment, that show that you know there's, it's worth investing in, in in some of these that have potential. You know, I think um, we are just getting started and being able to really capture some of those uh, demographics that you mes- you mentioned. But I think what is valuable is when when we talk about developing programming, um, I think of things that are non-ski. Because I think every resort does a great job offering, you know, adult group, adult private, child private, long-term programs for your local youth, um, adult women on Wednesday. I think, you know, we do a pretty darn good job of appealing to all those different segments of the population um, and even throwing in some really fun. We have a, you know, hidden tracks here at Solitude because it's really fun to find all the little nooks and crannies where if you're not a local, you're not going to know. But I think the valuable part is having the fire pit marshmallow opportunity at the end of the day, which brings all the different age groups together. Um, We even have sing-alongs. We have jewelry making. We try to provide some really fun family-type activities in the village here to kind of diversify and bring those people back together at the end of the day. And I think that's kind of the experience that regardless of the generation, I think that's what people are looking for. Um, We continue to see growth in the millennial market. Um, We have uh, uh, been, you know, two and a half hours from Manhattan, 
we do a lot of uh, group business and we see a lot of uh, millennials that are looking for adventure and a lot of these are people that have not skied or, or ridden before. Um, so we continue to see people kind of dabble and, and try this new adventure for them. Um, and we've been very successful in building programs that once we get them the first time, we're able to keep them within our program to hopefully develop them into a lifelong skier or rider. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd echo what uh, Russ said, where yes, I'm seeing growth um, anecdotally with the millennial market. Um, and it seems like it's been happening fast here where uh, maybe four or five years ago, um, at the end of the ski day in, in the pub, you'd see um, mostly baby boomers. And, and now that is shifting. We are seeing uh, millennials uh, in there. and it's interesting because when you watch um, a group of millennials on the uh, ski slopes for the day, I think that they're spending a lot more time in the lodge than they than they are on the slopes um, compared to baby boomers um, or even Gen X skiers. Um, they seem like they like to take more breaks and you know, have a nice cup of coffee and, um, and enjoy each other's company in the lodge as well as on the uh, chairlift and on the slopes. So. Um, I know we're thinking right now a little bit harder about uh, the space of our lodge and um, what we're providing, um, not just uh, on the slopes for the ski experience, but the the total day at the, the ski area. You know, what uh, what beers on tap? What you know, what kind of coffee do we have? And um, where that stuff maybe wasn't as important um, uh, to the baby boomer generation, which which. Uh, was so key to our business. I do think that stuff is going to become increasingly important uh, to the millennials, and it's going to be important to have things like good coffee and good beer and uh, just comfortable spaces where people can, um, you know, kick off their ski boots and enjoy each other's company. And uh, and that's I, I I do see that trending and something we're thinking pretty hard about here. To follow up on that, we see exactly what Ben is saying is that where the hardcore millennials, they show up and they're running out to the lift to get their runs in the, uh, or the, the, the hardcore boomers are running out. Boomers, yeah. Yeah. The millennials are coming in and they're, they're coming in to have breakfast before they go out on the, <laughs> good cup of coffee, check the Insta yeah. feed. Yeah. These are important, totally. <laughs> important things. Do you see technology, a, a bigger piece of, the millennial experience on the hill? Do they have, is they're tracking what they're doing, their laps, they're using technology as part of their experience and, and a growth in that? Uh, you know, at the at our ski area at Nubs, we're, we're kind of actively resisting that. And I, I think that um, whether or not millennials would admit it, um, I think a lot of them are looking for a break, you know, a break mm -hmm. from the screen time. And, um, you know, I've just... Um, was reading a book um, called The Nature Fix and how important it is um, to just have that time to unplug. And I really think that ski areas have an opportunity um, with this next generation to offer that. You know, skiing is obviously not a good time to be looking at your phone, and um, it's a good time to connect with people. And so we, mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, we still have Wi Fi at the lodge and things like that, but I do think that ski areas really have an opportunity to provide um, this space that's. Technology is not uh, so front and center. 
I, uh, I'm, I'm really, um, I think there's time for one more uh, question. It's sort of this uh, really great kind of um, take a step back and look a little bit um, uh, at the overall here. And I'd love to maybe um, throw it to Eric, uh, who has a really great question for the group. And we'll take it and uh, we'll go with uh, Russ, Ben, then Kim. Uh, Eric, do you want to uh, take us home with your last question? My question is, what can we do as resort leaders to collaborate with both new and established organizations in creating new, original, and out-of-the-box introductory programs and draw in new, more new skiers and riders? I would uh, turn this around 180 degrees and ask all you folks the same question. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think we we work on this all the time, but I still think there's a lot of great programs that are out there yet to be developed. That's that's fascinating. Do you are there? Uh, how do you go? Like how do you get the creative juices flowing uh, where you are at, in in New York, Russ? Like do you have like uh, you know teams or or you know staff meetings or other ways to get the get the suggestion idea generation going? Um, yeah, uh, we try to communicate all the time. Um, you know, and it's beg, borrow, and steal. We have uh, some really good salespeople that are always looking for opportunities, looking at other industries to see what uh, ideas are out there that might be relevant to what we do. Uh, we look at what other people in the industry are doing to see if that will work in our market. Um, we're, you know, we're a we're we're very much a learning organization, so we're always trying to find ways to better ourselves and better uh, we're also a sales oriented organization so we're always looking at ways uh, to bring new guests uh, to the resort I think it's something you never stop doing it's something that we focus on all the all the time it, it's Absolutely. a great question yeah with the you know working with um, the question was about working with established organizations or um, and, and trying to promote growth, but um, you know, I, I would say we should be really be looking at um, what what outdoor sports are growing right now. Who's seeing the growth? Um, and I know in our area, mountain biking has just exploded in the last decade. Um, and so the question is, you know, what what is mountain biking doing that's getting all of these new folks involved in the sport? Um, and I've got two little boys, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, and we took a vacation this summer and went to um, some really nice mountain bike trails in the Upper Peninsula. And they had a little flow track uh, for kids that was, you know, just a circle uh, right next to the parking lot with bumps and jumps and things. And uh, my kids would probably still be there if we didn't pull them off of it. Um, and I, I looked at that, and, you know, you think – okay, how can we replicate this kind of thing um, on our ski hill? And we just built a beginner park here, and our um, park builder, Ryan Moore, just did an incredible job. He built um, this, this rolling terrain um, that wasn't just boxes and rails, but um, a really kind of a little, like, mini uh, pump track for skis. And it's hilarious. I look every day now at our beginner slope, and nobody's on the, the beginner part of it. They're all using this little pump track. And um, it's like, okay, there's something, there's something there. And um, I think, you know, 
looking at industries like uh, certainly mountain biking right now that are seeing explosive growth and asking ourselves, what, what can we do um, as a more established um, industry um, to just to, to stay fresh? I think everybody's writing that idea down, Ben. So I want to copyright that one. <laughs> you know, the question was uh, resort leaders, you know, looking at um, collaborative ways with um, other industry partners to to grow um, programs and the sport. And I think there's two sides to that. I think my, I look at my, this is a really important topic, and I look at it from two separate sides of the coin. I look at the first, who have we not thought about partnering with and look at um, to help us grow the sport? Um, but the other side is the 750 people that I have here at the resort that are already mountain enthusiasts. And how am I tapping into my current team to get them to come up with the next best idea? And so this fall, uh, one thing that I, I very much value is having a mission, vision, and values and having it malleable enough that it's it grows with you as a company and we were ready for a new vision statement in other words our vision tells us you know what are we reaching for in the future where are we going and i'm so proud of my team they came up with a vision statement that speaks exactly to what we're talking about here today and our vision here at solitude is we will never be wrong when choosing our next step to ignite our passion to inspire the next generation of mountain enthusiasts. So when you think of our, our vision, it actually is about us finding the way to ignite our passion to inspire that next generation of mountain enthusiasts. And I'm so excited when I walk around the resort and talk to staff, they're providing ideas and thoughts about how we are going to grow the sport in general and then grow the sport amongst ourselves here at, at Solitude. That's great. So we are we are coming close to the top of the hour here, and I, I think we have time for one quick, super fast lightning round question, which requires a less than one sentence answer, maybe just a phrase. The question is this, um, in your experience, either at a resort or, in a, or as an industry as a whole, what have you seen that we do well in terms of conversion and retention, and what is something that we could do better <laughs> um, I think what we do well is we we uh, we ex we um, we express our our passion we we uh, um, and I guess that's the wrong way to put it but we're all passionate about what we do and I think that we translate that great to the guest what we don't do well is I think sometimes we get, we lose that in the processes. I think what we do well as um, a ski area is the things that we've always done well, which is our snowmaking, grooming, our, our service, um, the service side of our business. I think that most ski areas really have that pretty dialed in. Um, I think the thing that we could do better on is looking for new opportunities. Um, at our ski hill, if it's uh, looking at uh, things like creative terrain um, builds or doing things like um, expanding um, 
our our ski offerings to include things like uh, cross country uphill routes, uh, you know, things like that. I think that it's uh, the industry sometimes we we move slower than um, than we should. Yeah, I think what we do well as a ski industry and and here at Solitude is um, uh, provide exceptional guest mountain experiences that are memorable. I think what we could do better as an industry is comparing and sharing best practices um, to be more innovative with untapped markets. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the uh, the pressure of that lightning round, and I'm going to turn it back <laughs> over to Olivia. <laughs> Olivia, I expect me to um, push everybody to the limit, but uh, Olivia, thank you so much for the opportunity, and I'll, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, thank you, uh, Paul, very much for facilitating once again, and to all of our mentees for showing up and having great questions. Um, this was a, a fun topic, and it was hard for me to stay quiet, so <laughs> sorry for uh, getting in there. Um, and to Kim Mayhew and Russ Carlton and Ben Dornbus for your time on the call today and all of your seasoned advice and insights on this topic. Um, thank you very much to the three of you. Um, and of course, our sponsors, Leitner Poma and Mountain Guard um, and Colorado State University. So um, thanks all. This episode of PodSAM may be over, but the conversation certainly isn't. For more information on the Summit Series, visit saminfo.com or dig into a recent print edition of SAM Magazine by subscribing at saminfo.com slash subscribe. I guarantee you have someone on your team who could learn from these industry leaders. So grab their phone and subscribe them to the podcast. We have more episodes coming your way that will be released over the coming months and you do not want to miss out. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman. I am Sarah Bordeaux and thank you for listening to PodSAM.